all places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of All Places Together and your podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. I've got a question for you. Together with who? A very relatable movie scene for me comes from the film Mean Girls. Towards the beginning of this movie, the main character, who is a high school student, is trying to navigate a brand new school. Her character isn't sure who to sit with during lunch. A new acquaintance draws her a map of the cafeteria detailing who is at each and every table. Now, it could be that there were some tables that were, like, better than others. Maybe there was some table by a desirable window or that was kind of in the center of things. Or maybe you wanted to avoid, like, the tables by the trash can or by an air vent that always blew cold air. But the main concern was who were you going to sit with? This wise and all-knowing acquaintance labeled each table with its clique, sports team, or friend group with precision and commentary. She was trying to offer some guidance to the new girl. Because in high school, it mattered who you sat with. This is so relatable to me because I could have drawn a version of that map for my middle school, high school, and college cafeterias. My real-life experience was perhaps a little bit more fluid as it relates to, like, which actual table I sat at, but who I sat with was pretty fixed. I had my people, and we would find a table in the same general area together. A college student that I work with recently told me that during the peak pandemic, both who you sat with and where you sat with in the cafeteria were very rigid at college. She had to eat with who she came in with. No one else could join and they weren't allowed to join anyone else. And of course, you had to sit six feet or more apart from any of the other groups in the cafeteria. Who to sit with is even a question that adults face too. Maybe it's in the cafeteria at work or during a meal at a conference or a continuing education event, at a wedding with unassigned seats, or some other social event where you have to join others at a table. Who you're with can make a big difference in the experience you have. You can vibe off of each other and end up laughing so hard that your drinks come out your nose. You can spark ideas off each other and come up with new dreams for work that you never would have come up with on your own. Or the conversation, whether personal or professional, can feel like nails dragging down a chalkboard. Who you're with makes an impact. In last week's episode, we focused on why we do life together. We are together because God knew it wasn't good for us to be alone because we need each other to survive and to thrive, and because we follow Jesus's example of togetherness. This week, our question takes the conversation another step forward. Together with who? Who does God want us to be together with? If you've listened to even just several episodes of this podcast, I know you're jumping to the ultimate answer already. Everyone, you're saying 
everyone, Colleen. God wants us to be with everyone. And yes, you are right. That is certainly the answer that I'm moving towards. However, there are some really beautiful nuances in scripture that help us fill out that answer of everyone. Because you and I both know it isn't so straightforward. God loves when we are together with our nearest and dearest, our family, biological or chosen, and our friends. Daily living to special occasions, God takes joy in our joy. One of the most important stories from Jesus's life comes from when he is just with his disciples, his inner circle, his core team on a special occasion. The Last Supper, which he shared with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem, was the last time that they were all together before Jesus was crucified. They gathered for Passover, a major Jewish festival, but they realized that Jesus was in danger and that he was predicting his own death. Each four of the Gospels tells stories from that meal. They're both similar and different in the details that they share and some of the flow. The Gospel of Mark tells it all just in part of a chapter. While the Gospel of John takes literally chapters, multiple chapters, to detail this final meal and the conversation, Matthew and Luke end up in the middle. Many details are consistent across all four versions, one of those being that this meal was just an inner circle meal. After a week of very public debate and discourse in the temple and throughout Jerusalem, Jesus has taken them to this private place to be just them. Let's read the version from Luke together. This is Luke chapter 22. I'm reading from the NRSV Updated. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, Jesus said, Take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, my betrayer is with me. His hand is on this table. The human one goes just as it has been determined. But how terrible it is for that person who betrays him. They began to argue among themselves about which of them it could possibly be who would do this. Even in just this small portion of the story, so much happens. There's a lot to unpack. But the two details I want us to focus on is that even amongst Jesus's inner group, there is conflict. There's conflict with whoever this person is that's going to betray him. And then there's fighting about the betrayer. Now, we know because we've read the whole story that Judas is the disciple who has already put into motion the plan to betray Jesus. And Judas is there at the table with them. And whether through divine insight or keen observation, Jesus knew that Judas was up to all this. And even still, Jesus welcomes Judas to the table. Jesus could have confronted him beforehand, but he doesn't. Judas is part of the group. 
And then there's that line at the end about how they're arguing amongst themselves about which of them is the betrayer. And it just gives off total classic family dinner drama vibes or even like friend dinner debate. I can just hear their voices raising and trying to be louder as they try to figure out this mystery. They are fighting and like trying to figure this out and trying to talk over each other. It's a little chaotic, I imagine. These details of the story remind us of the importance of being together with our nearest and dearest on the big occasions of our lives. And it also normalizes the conflict that happens within that inner circle. As always, any kind of abuse or violence are not acceptable within relationships. So you are the one who knows if chosen family or biological family or some relationship isn't safe for you to be in. Just because Jesus was good with sitting with the person who betrayed him doesn't mean that you have to. You know if it is safe or not for you to be with the people who have hurt you. However, non-abusive and non-violent conflict is a normal and healthy part of relationships, including friendships. Sharing our perspectives, being honest when our boundaries are crossed, and asking tough questions deepens our relationships. These actions help us to get to know ourselves and each other more. Making it through one tough conversation helps the next conversation be a little bit easier. You've built trust that your relationship can withstand hard things. Growing stronger relationships through figuring out conflict helps us care for and support one another in more compassionate ways. Jesus certainly had many tough conversations in his time on earth, and his grace helps us to do the same. While Jesus certainly spent a lot of time with his inner circle, he also spent significant time with others as well. Jesus was all about expanding the circle to include more people. More than once, this meant crossing social norms or becoming ritually unclean in terms of Jewish tradition. Neither norms nor tradition kept Jesus from caring for the people experiencing need or teaching them about God's love for them. The Gospel of John has several long one-on-one conversations that feature Jesus and a partner getting into it about some faith concept. I want to highlight one part of one of those conversations. In John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They come to a city and they decide to take a rest there. Listen to what happens. This is John 4, 4 4-9. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Here ends the reading. If you've heard this story before, you know their conversation is a lot longer than what I just read. So for today, I just want to focus on this beginning part of the story. 
By engaging in conversation and asking for water from this woman at the well, Jesus is crossing some pretty big social norms. In this time and place, unrelated men and women did not speak in public places. Moreover, they are from different cultural groups. Jesus is Jewish and she is a Samaritan. There were some pretty complicated tensions between these two groups, such that they didn't really talk in public either. So for someone in their time and place, it was blatant and obvious that these two people should not be talking. It's so obvious that the woman straight up asks Jesus, like, why are you doing this? Why are you talking to me? Now, the story goes on from there, and they go on to have a long and deep conversation about being thirsty for regular water and then talking about living water. Jesus tells her details about herself that a normal person would not be able to know about someone they just met. And she ends up being so changed by the conversation that she goes and invites her whole city to meet Jesus. She is convinced that he is really the Son of God. Some do take her up on this invitation, and they come to believe in Jesus as well. What starts as a question about a drink of water becomes a faith and a life-changing encounter for many people in this city. This is a powerful example of how crossing social norms can lead to big changes. And something that I really appreciate about this interaction between Jesus and this woman is that it starts with a simple, physical need request, and then it builds from there. Jesus doesn't lead with, I know your whole life story, ta-da! Like Jesus begins with his own need. He had been walking in the desert and he is thirsty. Can she provide for his need, even if that means talking to a Jewish man? When we think about crossing social norms or intentionally stepping into conversations with those that we know we disagree with in our day and age, I think following this pattern of interaction can be effective. Share a meal, a cup of caffeine, or a glass of water. And as you get to know each other, I know that you'll find ways to connect. The person who was very other before starts to become more familiar. It turns out they aren't a total stranger after all. They also have a cat. They also like to watch the same movies or read the same kinds of books as you. They are a middle child too. Now Jesus was able to change this whole woman's life in a single conversation. I don't think we should necessarily hope for that sort of outcome on the regular. Like in particular, when we're having intentional conversations, trying to break down all of the isms that exist in our lives. Like those conversations will take many, many meals. Yet the impact, the mutual learning, and the growth of compassion is beautiful and life-changing, whether it takes one conversation or many years. Learning how to have hard conversations with our closest people and those who are not close to us is necessary because the hope that God has for us is really big. It's that first simple answer to the question of who God wants us to be with. Everyone. And being with everyone is hard. 
It means figuring out our disagreements. It means talking to people who we normally wouldn't talk to and admitting our needs to them. It means going to a different table to be with different people, even though the thought of it makes our stomach flip. These are some of the steps that we are called to take in order to get to that everyone that God hopes for us. The hope of reconciliation, of expansive and inclusive community, or radical grace is spoken of beautifully in this book of Isaiah in the Hebrew Testament. We've talked about Isaiah recently, so you may remember that the voices of multiple prophets are woven together in this book. This comes from early on in the book. And this may be a familiar passage. It's part of Isaiah that Christians often read leading up to Christmas. I'm skipping over the first part of the chapter. Those verses describe a person who will rescue and save the people of Israel, take care of them, and make them safe. Christians usually read those verses as describing Jesus. We're going to zoom in on the next section that describes what life looks like when this leader has saved us and healed us. So our last reading for the day is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. The wolf will lie down with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole, toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. This is the hope that God has for us. And it's a hope that might not be realized in this lifetime. But it is something that I believe we get to have glimpses of and glimmers of in our life now. The hope that those who were once enemies, those who were predator and prey, have found peace enough that they can live together, eat together, and even nap in the same place. The hope that God's expansive and inclusive love has nestled so deep into each of us that we are safely together. Again, this may not be something that fully happens in this life, yet we do have moments of this or maybe even days or seasons of this. When more of us are together, a larger portion, a more diverse gathering, we see this healing and this hope. As you go into the rest of your day or week, I invite you to keep your heart open, to expand who you are together with, or maybe to include someone new or unexpected. Perhaps even say yes to someone's invite to include you in their group or their plans. And through it all, remember that God wants to be together with you, that you are loved and seen by God always wherever, whoever, and however you are.
prayer for hard conversations. Dear God, I'm nervous about this conversation. I know that we care about each other, and I also don't know how this will go. Will they listen to me? Like, really listen. Will they dismiss what I say? And if they bring that point up again, I may just lose my mind. But I know that that won't help. So God, ground me in your peace. Help me to take as many deep breaths as I need to give my mind time to process and for my words to come together. Guide this conversation so that we can come to understand each other a little bit more and find a way forward together with you and each other. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experience God's love for you and the world in today's episode. I hope that you'll save the date to be together with me and the other folks of the APT community for our next Zoom communion. Beginning in August, we'll be gathering on the third Monday of each month. So for August, that's Monday the 21st. More details and a link to signups will come soon. So just please mark the date to be able to join us. There is a place for you. I'm so excited to share that another Virginia Synod congregation has voted to become a Reconciling in Christ community this month. And it's actually two congregations because they're a parish who are in relationship together. The Floyd Willish Parish in Floyd County voted unanimously at both Zion Lutheran and St. Mark's Lutheran to become RIC. This faithful journey has taken them two years, a beautiful example of taking the time to have an intentional and faith-changing conversations. I'm so excited to be part of the Reconciling in Christ community with y'all. As always, thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Being together is so important. Thank you to everyone who gives financially to keep all places together going. If you'd like to make a financial gift, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom and click where it says Give Now. From there, you'll be redirected to our giving platform. You can make one-time gifts or even set up recurring donations through that page. Until next time, remember that God is with you and loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.